0: You're listening to Reach MD, XM 233 the channel for medical professionals. By threading a tiny ultrasound camera into the coronary arteries, we are now able to visualize the magnificent landscape of in vivo coronary artery disease. Will IVUS revolutionize the treatment and management of this disease in the future? Let's find out. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Castle, and today we will talk about current and future uses of this exciting and eye-opening technology, We are joined by Dr. Deepak Bhatt, Associate Director of the Cardiovascular Coordinating Center at the Cleveland Clinic. His specialty interests include interventional cardiology, coronary, carotid, and peripheral interventions. He has authored or co-authored more than 200 articles in leading medical journals, including the American Journal of Cardiology, Circulation, JAMA, Nature Reviews, and the New England Journal of Medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bott
1: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: I'm wondering if you were surprised with the outcome with IVIS in the Torsetrapib trial.
1: You know, that's a question that a lot of people watching the field have asked, uh, what really is the appropriate interpretation. And uh, first of all, Torsetrapib, which was a compound that raises HDL extremely effectively, uh, a number of studies show that, many people thought that this was going to be the next big blockbuster in cardiovascular medicine. Huge increases in HDL cholesterol uh, that many thought would have to translate into reductions in plaque progression and ultimately reductions in heart attacks and strokes and, and, and cardiovascular death. But as it turns out, the drug was ineffective in reducing clinical events, and if anything, seemed to be perhaps causing uh, adverse events. So how could it be that something that's so profoundly raising HDL wouldn't be beneficial? Well, um, we don't know is the answer, but intravascular ultrasound, I think, even in this context, was useful because in the intravascular ultrasound study that examined this compound, uh, there was no significant reduction in plaque progression. So even though HDL was going up, plaques weren't going down in size. So I I think here, too, IVUS was uh, was predictive of a drug's failure in this case.
0: Were you able to get LDL low enough in that study? Was it was it lower than 70?
1: Well, in that particular study, there was aggressive LDL lowering as well. So that wouldn't account for the failure of the, the drug. The idea was to see what the incremental Uh, value of raising HDL might be. And the hope had been in patients, even if they've got low LDLs, as many patients now on statin therapies do, uh, who continue to have clinical events, would then raising HDL uh, somehow further reduce their risk. Many cardiologists believe that it should. I mean, I still continue to believe it should. It just turns out that this compound didn't do it.
0: Were you personally involved in the asteroid trial or the reversal trial?
1: My role in these studies was only in those patients that were enrolled at the Cleveland Clinic where I've done intravascular ultrasounds on patients enrolled in all the IVA studies we're doing.
0: So can you, can you help our audience a little bit and compare and contrast the differences between the reversal trial, and the asteroid trial?
1: Sure. Well, these are uh, different study designs. The reversal trial was a randomized uh, study of two different statins. The idea was to compare intense LDL reduction versus more modest LDL reduction. It was probably 40 and atorvastatin-80 milligrams that were compared. But again, it wasn't so much to compare particular drugs or doses, but rather particular strategies. And it showed that uh, the more potent LDL-reducing strategy, atorvastatin-80, seemed to halt plaque progression though it didn't really induce regression of plaque, so you were pretty much left with what you had. Asteroid, on the other hand, was a study, and it wasn't a randomized study to clarify, but uh, patients received uh, resuvastatin, another type of statin, and uh, were followed over time, baseline and follow-up, intravascular ultrasounds done that actually showed plaque regression. So this uh, opens the door to the possibility, really, that uh, high doses of potent statins might not only stabilize plaque and keep it from progressing over time, but actually cause regression of what plaque a patient has. Uh, an important uh, caveat, though, sometimes uh, people interpret the studies, as I just said, it was that a significant proportion of patients uh, in asteroid in fact, did have progression, even though in the overall trial, there was regression. But in an individual patient, about two-thirds had regression, but about a third still had progression. So high intensity LDL reduction seems promising as a strategy to prevent plaque progression and even in some patients, induce regression, but it's not a panacea.
0: Do you think that there is a difference between high-dose atorvastatin and high-dose rosuvastatin? Because in these trials, it looks like In the asteroid trial, you did see some significant regression, which you did not see with high-dose atorvastatin?
1: I guess the most honest answer to that one would be, I don't know, because uh, there hasn't yet been a direct comparison uh, using intravascular ultrasound. Uh, Asteroid, I think, was a very insightful study, but one limitation is that it wasn't randomized. So without having that sort of comparator arm, we can't say for sure uh, which of those two regimens is best. But if one looks indirectly across trials, I mean, there was regression in the resuvastatin uh, trial where that wasn't on average a occurring in the atorvastatin trial. But, um, you know, personally, I haven't altered my clinical practice based on that just yet. I want some, you know, uh, clinical endpoint data before
0: making that switch. If you had to decide today and it was for you and you had some significant disease and you could only pick one agent... What would you pick?
1: I would go with a torvastatin 80 myself because it has the most efficacy data. I'm not talking about intravascular ultrasound, which is still ultimately a surrogate endpoint. But in terms of hard endpoints, you know, myocardial infarction, stroke, death, it's got the most clinical data in terms of high-dose statin therapy I'm referring to, and the most safety data. So, you know, rosuvastatin statin 40 I think, it seems like a very promising approach. It might be better than atorvastatin-80. I just want to see some more safety data sure. on the order of thousands of patients right. before making that wholesale switch.
0: You are listening to Reach ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and today we're talking with Dr. Deepak Bhatt about IVIS, and its use in the real world. Dr. Bot, has IVUS led to any significant changes in treatment guidelines as far as you've seen?
1: Well, not directly. I think data that's been generated from the intravascular ultrasound studies has, has further fueled this concept of lower is better with respect to LDL cholesterol. So I do think it's contributed to the guidelines becoming uh, even uh, more aggressive with their LDL targets, uh, you know, moving from 100 to the optional target of 70 milligrams per deciliter for patients at high risk. Uh, so I, I think it's been useful that way, but I wouldn't say that it's directly changed the guidelines.
0: We we read about APO A1 Milano infusions and that that represents the future for lipidology. I'm wondering if you've participated in any experiments using these infusions and seen any actual improvement in the arterial walls.
1: Well, that trial was coordinated by the Cleveland Clinic, and um, my uh, chairman, Steve Nissen, was the one that ran that study. I uh, enrolled a few patients in here, did intravascular ultrasounds on them. and. I think that uh, more important than the drug itself there was really the concept because that study was the first one to show that that preceded the asteroid study that showed regression uh, with a high-dose rizuvastan. But uh, the APOA1 Milano study actually was the first to show plaque regression. So that was the trial, and it was a small trial just in fairness, you know, a pilot study. But it was the first study to change the way that we think about coronary artery disease, shifting from the paradigm of once you've got it, you're stuck with it forever to maybe there a way of actually causing it to regress. So that, that was a key um, lesson provided by that study. But in terms of that compound itself, it really would need to be evaluated. in I don't mean necessarily just it, but even similar compounds in large phase 3 trials before it would be something that was clinically useful.
0: Moving on to an entirely different agent for treating coronary artery disease, amlodipine was studied in the Camelot trial. And I was wondering if you could comment on what kind of results were seen with that on IVUS.
1: You know, I'm glad you brought up that particular study because so far we've been talking about plaque on intravascular ultrasound or ivis and, and different agents that might affect it, predominantly agents that are viewed as cholesterol-lowering medications. Though so some might even say they've got anti-inflammatory properties. But the important thing that the CAMLOT trial showed us is that blood pressure-reducing medicines also appear to affect plaque progression rates. That is, the lower one is able to get the blood pressure, the less likely plaque is to progress. So, just as it has been shown that lowering LDL to low levels, say an LDL of 70 or lower, seems to affect plaque progression rates in a favorable way, it appears that lowering blood pressure also, and I'd say a good target for someone with established coronary artery disease would be 120 or less as far as their systolic blood pressure, also retards plaque progression. And I think in the future, and again, a little caveat future studies will really need to validate this, and I mean large scale clinical trials, but I do think in the the future, will be validated that the appropriate blood pressure target should be even lower than the targets we set is systolic at 140 for most folks, or maybe 130 for those with diabetes or chronic kidney disease.
0: When you're looking at uh, plaque makeup, can you actually determine the histology using IVIS?
1: Well, that's... um... An interesting thing to ask. Intravascular ultrasound is much more refined in its ability to characterize plaque than an angiogram, uh, but it's not perfect. So it's an ultrasound image. It lets us see what the plaque uh, looks like uh, in real time. Uh, It doesn't really provide specific characterization of the tissue elements. That is, you can sometimes get a sense of things like if the artery is heavily calcified, that'll show up as a dense white signal. But if you're trying to differentiate, say, lipid from thrombus not terrific at doing that. If you're trying to delineate lipid-rich plaque from lipid-poor plaque, not really going to do that. But there are related techniques, something called virtual histology that's really quite new uh, that uses the uh, radiofrequency analysis of backscatter uh, of the ultrasound beams. Uh, It does a fast Fourier transform and in real time, again, spits out a color-coded image where uh... you know for example uh... red would be lipid rich plaque white would be calcified more necrotic areas Uh, green would be more uh, fibrous tissue. And so a a plaque that registers red, and a lot of red is one that's uh, very rich in lipid content, perhaps is the quote-unquote vulnerable plaque.
0: Right, so that would be the one where you might want a stent, whereas the other ones you could potentially leave alone.
1: Theoretically, yes, but there's no data to support that. Right now, the reason to put a stent in would be based on clinical grounds, presence of ischemia, and uh, luminal narrowing, that is a percent stenosis. If a, a plaque, for example, was 70% on an angiogram and you were going to stent it anyway and it showed up being vulnerable, well, that wouldn't really change what you would do because you were going to stent it anyway. If there's a 30% plaque and it lights up red and it's vulnerable, you still at the current time wouldn't stent it just because that there's no evidence to support that that action would then reduce the patient's future risk of myocardial infarction. So it, it, virtual histology really is a research tool. You know, Ivis is a research tool for the most part, but virtual histology is even one further step removed from actual daily clinical practice.
0: Lastly, Dr. Bott, we've talked about the fact that we now see regression with actually different classes of drugs. And I'm wondering if there's any study yet that shows that by decreasing plaque volume, you're actually decreasing clinical events?
1: Well, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? And there's no single direct study that links those two together. But if you're willing to look at the totality of evidence, for example, the reversal study showed plaque, um, differences in plaque progression with two different lipid-lowering regimens, those same two agents at the same two doses were studied in the PROVIT trial of acute coronary syndrome with several thousand patients and showed that more intensive LDL reduction reduced clinical events. So, at least across studies, it seems to hold up that agents that are beneficial on intravascular ultrasound-defined plaque also reduce clinical events.
0: Dr. Bott, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
0: I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.